This is Chapter 10 of Following the Equator. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Following the Equator by Mark Twain, Chapter 10 The Discovery of Australia, Transportation of Convicts, Discipline, English Laws Ancient and Modern, Flogging Prisoners to Death, Arrival of Settlers, New South Wales Corps, Rum Currency, Intemperance Everywhere. One hundred thousand dollars for one gallon of rum. Development of the country. Immense resources. Everything human is pathetic. The secret source of humor itself is not joy, but sorrow. There is no humor in heaven. Puddenhead Wilson's New Calendar. Captain Cook found Australia in 1770, and eighteen years later the British government began to transport convicts to it. Altogether, New South Wales received 83,000 in 53 years. The convicts wore heavy chains. They were ill-fed and badly treated by the officers set over them. They were heavily punished for even slight infractions of the rules. The cruelest discipline ever known, is one historian's description of their life. The story of Australasia, J. S. Laurie. English law was hard-hearted in those days for trifling offenses which in our day would be punished by a small fine or a few days confinement men women and boys were sent to this other end of the earth to serve terms of seven and fourteen years and for serious crimes they were transported for life children were sent to the penal colonies for seven years for stealing a rabbit when i was in london twenty-three years ago there was a new penalty in force for diminishing garroting and wife-beating, twenty-five lashes on the bare back with a cat-o'-nine-tails. It was said that this terrible punishment was able to bring the stubbornest ruffians to terms, and that no man had been found with grit enough to keep his emotions to himself beyond the ninth blow. As a rule, the man shrieked earlier. That penalty had a great and wholesome effect upon the garroters and wife-beaters, but humane modern London could not endure it. It got its law rescinded. Many a bruised and battered English wife has since had occasion to deplore that cruel achievement of sentimental humanity. 25 Lashes In Australia and Tasmania they gave a convict 50 for almost any little offense, and sometimes a brutal officer would add 50, and then another 50, and so on, as long as the sufferer could endure the torture and live. In Tasmania I read the entry, in an old manuscript official record, of a case where a convict was given three hundred lashes for stealing some silver spoons. And men got more than that sometimes. Who handled the cat? Often it was another convict. Sometimes it was the culprit's dearest comrade, and he had to lay on with all his might. Otherwise he would get a flogging himself for his mercy, for he was under watch, and yet not do his friend any good. The friend would be attended to by another hand, and suffer no lack in the matter of full punishment. The convict life in Tasmania was so unendurable, and suicide so difficult to accomplish, that once or twice despairing men got together and drew straws to determine which of them should kill another of the group this murder to secure death to the perpetrator and to the witnesses of it by the hand of the hangman. 
the incidents quoted above are mere hints mere suggestions of what convict life was like they are but a couple of details tossed into view out of a shoreless sea of such or to change the figure they are but a pair of flaming steeples photographed from a point which hides from sight the burning city which stretches away from their bases on every hand some of the convicts indeed a good many of them were very bad people even for that day but the most of them were probably not noticeably worse than the average of the people they left behind them at home we must believe this we cannot avoid it we are obliged to believe that a nation that could look on unmoved and see starving or freezing women hanged for stealing twenty-six cents worth of bacon or rags and boys snatched from their mothers and men from their families and sent to the other side of the world for long terms of years for similar trifling offenses was a nation to whom the term civilized could not in any large way be applied and we must also believe that a nation that knew during more than forty years what was happening to those exiles and was still content with it was not advancing in any showy way toward a higher grade of civilization if we look into the characters and conduct of the officers and gentlemen who had charge of the convicts and attended to their backs and stomachs we must grant again that as between the convict and his masters and between both and the nation at home there was a quite noticeable monotony of sameness four years had gone by and many convicts had come respectable settlers were beginning to arrive these two classes of colonists had to be protected in case of trouble among themselves or with the natives it is proper to mention the natives though they could hardly count they were so scarce at a time when they had not as yet begun to be much disturbed not as yet being in the way it was estimated that in new south wales there was but one native to forty-five thousand acres of territory people had to be protected officers of the regular army did not want this service away off there where neither honor nor distinction was to be gained so england recruited and officered a kind of militia force of one thousand uniformed civilians called the new south wales corps and shipped it this was the worst blow of all the colony fairly staggered under it the corps was an object lesson of the moral condition of england outside of the jails the colonists trembled it was feared that next there would be an importation of the nobility in those early days the colony was non-supporting all the necessaries of life food clothing and all were sent out from england and kept in great government storehouses and given to the convicts and sold to the settlers sold at a trifling advance upon cost the corps saw its opportunity its officers went into commerce and in a most lawless way they went to importing rum and also to manufacturing it in private stills in defiance of the government's commands and protests they leagued themselves together and ruled the market they boycotted the government and the other dealers they established a close monopoly and kept it strictly in their own hands when a vessel arrived with spirits they allowed nobody to buy but themselves and they forced the owner to sell to them at a price named by themselves and it was always low enough they bought rum at an average of two dollars a gallon and sold it at an average of ten they made rum the currency of the country for there was little or no money 
and they maintained their devastating hold and kept the colony under their heel for eighteen or twenty years before they were finally conquered and routed by the government meantime they had spread intemperance everywhere and they had squeezed farm after farm out of the settlers hands for rum and thus had bountifully enriched themselves when a farmer was caught in the last agonies of thirst they took advantage of him and sweated him for a drink in one instance they sold a man a gallon of rum worth two dollars for a piece of property which was sold some years later for one hundred thousand dollars when the colony was about eighteen or twenty years old it was discovered that the land was specially fitted for the wool culture prosperity followed commerce with the world began by and by rich mines of the noble metals were opened immigrants flowed in capital likewise the result is the great and wealthy and enlightened commonwealth of new south wales it is a country that is rich in mines wool ranches trams railways steamship lines schools newspapers botanical gardens art galleries libraries museums hospitals learned societies it is the hospitable home of every species of culture and of every species of material enterprise and there is a church at every man's door and a race-track over the way end of chapter ten